Welcome to the Witchy Work Wishes podcast, a place to find your weekly inspiration for bringing your personal witchcraft practice into your business, work, and office. Welcome to Witchy Work Wishes. I am your host, Charlene, and today we are talking about something very near and dear to my own personal heart and own personal practice, and that is Kitchen Witchcraft. Again, starting a new series that uh, I'll maybe pull an episode um, into each month, but today's topic is all about the art and craft of magical bread. But first, some things I did over the weekend in my own personal practice. Well, this weekend was a little entrepreneurial in the witchy sense for me, which was amazing, but I have to say first how it started out on Friday. Now, since last week was, you know, all about love, I wanted to express my true gratefulness and love with my employees and treat them with some bonding time outside of the office. So guess what I did? I told them to be ready at 10.30 in the morning on Friday and, you know, dress in jeans and boots or sneakers. Um, and that we were going to do, quote unquote, some work outside of the office. <laughs> I picked them up and we headed out to the coastal mountains for a two and a half hour private trail ride on horses. Just us and the guide. They had no idea what was going on until I pulled into the ranch and it was awesome. It was just what we all needed. And our, our poor guide, oh my gosh, like every plant that we passed, every bird that we heard, every herb that we saw, <laughs> we chatted about it, even taking pictures at time if we couldn't identify the plant or herb or the bird. So we even saw some wild mushrooms, some wonderful mountain deer, even some even some hummingbirds, oh my gosh, that were already making their transition back north. Um, our horses were great. I think most trail horses are very, very tolerant, <laughs> but we got some amazing pictures. But honestly, best of all, we were just able to breathe, you know, the outside air, connect with the earth element, and appreciate each other's company. I was really, really happy with the office adventure. Now, on Saturday, I was able to attend the Grimoire World Fair that was held down in Ventura, California, and met a bunch of really, really wonderful people and vendors. I bought way too much jewelry, but it actually inspired me to organize my rock and crystal uh, stone collection that I have um, within my jewelry pieces, along with, you know, my standalone stones and crystals. And I actually, you know, took the time to make my own notes, put the notes on the boxes and reorganized, you know, how I keep them in my jewelry drawer. So if you've been with me for a while now, you know, one of my goals this year is to be better versed on crystals and stones. And I even started a uh, separate series uh, just for it. And I do have very good news for you. I found someone local who will be helping me with the segment of uh, with this segment of my podcast, and she will actually be a guest in next week's episode. So I'm really excited about her joining us. Uh, but for the Grimoire Fair, it was it was a lot of people. Some were really dressed up, some were kind of dressed up. But you know the energy was great, and there are a couple of vendors that I'm going to be reaching out to for possible guest spots um, on this podcast later. So you know how I've been obsessing over my toads and frogs, right? Well, I found a great small print at the fair of a cauldron and a frog and a full moon. Now I swore I would visit every booth first, you know that once type Passover <laughs> routine that you do. 
um, when looking at all the vendors, but but the toad print was the only one, the only one at this booth. So uh, it was purchased immediately. Now, this is the second fair in the last six months that I've gone to, and I'm, gosh, I'm really toying with possibly having a booth over the summer at the next local one. So we'll see, maybe. Now, on Sunday, I worked on this podcast, which is typically my day to, to do it. Um, and I did update my website a bit. I have been asked about advertising, and while I did a little bit of, a little bit of it in the beginning, um, might have been even mid last year, I really like the flow of things without ads. But what I do like is the opportunity for fellow business owners to sponsor a month or maybe even sponsor a single podcast episode. So I like the idea of the collaboration. I like the collective thread that it ties us with, you know, in our community. And I like the witchy vibes that we can, you know, share together and learn about other witchy sites. So I really think it would be a great addition to Witchy Work Wishes. So if that is something that interests you, please reach out. You can DM me on Instagram or send an email right over to me at info at witchyworkwishes.com. All right, let's grab our apron. Let's head to the kitchen for some yummy witchcraft. Last week, I had my first episode in the Plant Magic series. Before that was my first episode in my Crystal and Stone Magic series. And this week, it is my first one in the Kitchen Magic series. And I really feel compelled to start with the art of baking magical bread. What does it mean to be a kitchen witch? Well, we are circling right back to the cottage witch, to the hearth witch, certainly a little green witch or garden witchcraft, right? It's all a sprinkling of a little of this and a little of that. Now, I honestly do consider my kitchen as one of my main areas I practice witchcraft. Even if I'm not baking or cooking something, I'll inevitably eat. <laughs> I do a lot of my workings in there. And if the weather does not permit me to perform, you know, spells or rituals under the moon or even charge things outside, I almost always use my kitchen window to get as close as possible to the moon's energy from the inside. Even, you know, my herbs and, you know, starting either cuttings for them or propagating them, tending to them, whatever it is, a lot of that work is also done right in my kitchen. My apothecary set is in my kitchen, so I don't, there's a bunch of crossover for, you know, for me. Now, a kitchen witch is going to probably focus on a couple of main areas. Certainly spices and herbs, um, their tools, kitchen spirits, and, you know, working with our ancestors and the family recipes um, that have been handed down. And for some, they even have a kitchen altar. Now, either way, I think a kitchen witch is going to look at much of her own personal kitchen as a sacred space. And while the term homesteading is really, really popular right now, you know, being a kitchen witch, uh, for me at least, is not only about working with the natural cycles of our seasons and the fresh produce available in it, it is partially, in fact, growing what I can, you know, with my herbs and baking or cooking what I can by hand. Now, I love making potions in my kitchen that are from, you know, the herbs that I have grown, or at least that I've gone out foraging for. Uh, something that I've physically connected with makes me personally feel like my workings are much more powerful. So I certainly don't want to say that we are starting off with an easy one, because if you are like me, you struggled at the beginning with the art of baking bread. But for today, magical bread it is. 
And the reason I'm starting off with bread is because it was the first thing that I really wanted to replace in my kitchen from my usual store-bought bread. I made a big commitment to my health last year, and I am happy to say that things are going wonderfully in that area. But removing toxins from my food is and was one of the goals. Now, you may not even need this next segment. If you clicked on this episode, you probably did because you already want to start making magical bread at home. And I love bread, just like you. I love bread. So even if you know how much better homemade bread is for you, let's still start with the difference so it's front and center. All right, commercially produced bread. It always is, not always, it is often going to contain preservatives, dough conditioners, It's going to have stabilizers and other additives to extend the shelf life and maintain that consistency that's um, needed when there's large-scale production, right? You know, homemade bread, oh my gosh, it's baked with simple ingredients, right? Flour, water, yeast, salt. Sometimes maybe a sprinkling of sugar or oil. Either way, we get the control over the quality of ingredients and what those ingredients are. As far as taste and freshness, You know, store-bought bread may have a consistent less fresh taste due to the preservatives. Um, The flavors are probably going to be less pronounced, you know, certainly compared to the homemade bread. But our homemade bread is going to have that varied flavor, that very pronounced um, taste. And the freshness is going to (laughs) be right there, right there front and center, experienced right as it comes out of the oven. Texture is really different, too, between commercial and and homemade. The commercial ones... The store-bought ones are going to have, you know, certainly a uniform texture due to the industrial production methods, right? Sometimes leading maybe to a softer or fluffier consistency. Our homemade bread, you know, that texture is going to vary depending on the recipe, depending on the technique that the person's using. Homemade bread typically has a hardier, uh, crustier exterior, exterior, excuse me, and a more substantial crumb. Now, as far as nutritional content, oh my gosh way different. Store-bought bread is you know, that commercially produced additional vitamins, additional minerals, but it's also going to have higher levels of sugar and sodium. Homemade bread, we've got control over those ingredients again. So we get to choose the whole grains and the amount of sugar or salt, potentially making it a much healthier option. Another big area is going to be how we get to customize it. Store-bought bread is going to be limited, right, for those customizations. There are various brands, of course. There are types, but you have less control over these specific ingredients and flavors. Our homemade bread, we've got the freedom to experiment with different flours and seeds and nuts and other ingredients, which really gives us that wide range of flavors and textures. Now, cost is a pretty big one as well. You know, generally more convenient, of course, (laughs) but it's going to be more expensive when we go to the commercially store-bought bread, especially if you're going for any type of specialty breads. Now, homemade bread, you know, the ingredients are going to be less expensive and we're going to buy larger quantities for the same same cost, right? Think of like an entire bag of of flour (laughs) and how much bread you're going to get out of that one. Now, time and effort, I would say this is, depending on how you look at it, of course, this is where you know, if you are not kitchen prone, if this is not your happy place, or really, you know, as life always seems to happen, you just don't have time to make a loaf of bread yourself. This is, in my opinion, the only upside to commercially made bread. You know, convenient, readily available, and it requires 
no effort to prepare. <laughs> now, homemade bread, it does. It requires time and effort for the mixing and the kneading and the proofing and the baking. Now, when we have time, these are all amazing, powerful steps in creating our own little masterpieces that kitchen witches love. Now, ultimately, you know, the choice between store-bought and homemade bread depends on personal preferences. Dietary considerations are going to be a big one. And of course, the level of convenience and control you desire over that bread-making process. But again, if you're here with me today, as you are, I am guessing you're leaning towards the homemade loaf of magical bread. Now, I'm not going to go into all of the amazing variations of bread that we can bake today, but I would like to review the basics of bread making and what we in the craft can do to make it magical. For the type of bread, you know, you do you. We all have our favorites, right? All right, bread basics. You know, I've got to say first, I had an amazing childhood with a home filled each weekend with the smells of freshly baked bread. When you grow up with fresh baked bread, it just seems to be I don't know, something that is. Now, I'm not saying I took it for granted, but Maybe I did, if that makes sense. I really thought when diving into the art of bread making myself, it would just be like it was for my mom. But no, no, there really is an art to it. And I learned the hard way, bad batch after bad batch, until I slowed down and really learned about it. Size matters. <laughs> the biggest difference between cooking and baking for me is measuring things out. Now, when I cook, you know, I can kind of eyeball it. If it says a cup of something and the cup is a little you know, shy of being full, I'm probably still going to be okay and you know, just fine with the end result. Not the case with baking. And that goes with other things used in the process. Okay, flour measurement. The amount of flour in a recipe can be affected by how it is measured. Um, for example, if you sift flour into a cup, that may weigh less than a cup of unsifted flour. It is crucial to follow these specific instructions in a recipe for accurate measurements. Chopping and slicing, you know, the size at which the ingredients are chopped or sliced can impact cooking times. It can impact the overall texture of the bread, of course. Now, uniformly cut, you know, ingredients ensure more even cooking. Now, I'm gonna be testing this out next weekend with a new loaf I'm trying that has a bunch of um, big seeds in the recipe. So my goal is to be consistent with my chopping and slicing. Now for baking pans, the size and type of baking pan specified in the recipe really does affect the baking time and the texture of the final product. So using a pan that's you know, too small or too large can lead to uneven baking. You know, flip side of that, when we are cooking on the stovetop, the size of the pan can impact the heat distribution and we'll get that same thing. You know, using a pan that's too small for the amount of food may lead to overcrowding or even uneven cooking. Now, measuring utensils is another really big part of a good end result loaf of bread. Accurate measuring is crucial in baking. So using the correct size of measuring cups, of spoons, it really does ensure the right balance of ingredients. Now mixing bowls, I think this is a little bit more loose. You know, choosing an appropriately sized mixing bowl ensures that ingredients can be combined thoroughly without spillage. I think that's not a hard one. We always wanna choose an appropriately sized mixing bowl, of course, that helps ensures you know, the ingredients can be combined thoroughly without spilling over on the sides. 
Uh, the size of the individual portions can affect cooking time. For example, like smaller rounds of bread for rolls will bake faster than larger sandwich size loaf of bread. Now, when making adjustments to the size of a baked good, like, you know, cookies, larger or smaller, be aware that baking time may need to be adjusted accordingly. Now, in baking, the size of the oven can impact heat distribution. If you're using a large oven or um, a smaller, maybe countertop one that the recipe was developed for, you may need to adjust the temperature or baking time. Now, altitude, oh my gosh, I have lived in the mountains above 6,000 feet. I have lived at ocean level, and each comes with its own set of baking skills. So know your altitude. I promise it matters. And then the last one, for me at least, with um, that was a hard lesson <laughs> for my bread was room temperature. Now, if you love a cooler room and home like I do, your rising yeast or your proofing dough will not be so happy. This really was a game changer for me, especially when creating my own sourdough starter. Now, if you're having trouble with your dough rising, your home is probably too cold. There can be other reasons, but yeast wants a nice, um, humid type room to grow in. So ingredients matter. And again, if you're in a pinch and you need a quick loaf of bread and you're out of your normal you know, supply, yes, you can use regular flour. But really taking the time to purchase and then use the right ingredients to make your magical bread are really, really worth it. So you might have just asked, well, what, what is bread flour? Why is it different from regular flour? So first and foremost, protein. Now, bread flour typically has a higher protein content, content that is going to range from like maybe 12 to 14%. Uh, the higher protein content really does contribute to the formation of gluten, which is essential for the structure and texture of bread. It results in a chewier, more elastic dough, which is ideal for yeast-based bread recipes. Now, our all-purpose flour, you know, it still has protein. I think it's more like 9 to 12%. It strikes a, a balance between protein levels suitable for both you know, bread and a variety of other baked goods, such as our cakes, our cookies, and, and our pastries. So while all-purpose flour can be used for bread, the resulting texture may be less chewy compared to, you know, using bread flour. Functionality is going to be different between bread flour and all-purpose flour. Best suited for yeast-based bread recipes is going to be our bread flour, where, you know, the development of gluten is crucial for that rise in the structure of the bread. It really does provide the strength needed to support the fermentation process and trap carbon dioxide produced by the yeast. Our all-purpose flour, while it's versatile and suitable for a wild, a wild, wild, a wide range of baking, it can be used in bread recipes that don't require as much gluten development, or you know, in those other recipes where maybe a tender crumb is desired, such as cakes and pastries. The texture is different between bread flour and all-purpose flour. The bread flour is definitely going to be a little bit denser and chewier. All-purpose is going to be a little softer and lighter, um, and definitely not as strong and structured. In making our magical bread, yeast is going to be another big one, and there are a couple of options here. Now, I've mentioned having my own sourdough starter, but having and using live active yeast is so key in baking bread. It does not mean you need a jar of active starter like I have. You can buy dry yeast either, you know, in the jars or the little individual packets and then wake it up with some warm water. 
But if we circle back to our bread not rising, it could also be because your yeast is dead. You know, if that warm water mixture does not wake up the yeast, you know, wake it back up and revive it, you need to toss it and start over. Be sure, though, you are using room temperature water to wake it up, though. Too cold of water won't wake it up at all, and too hot of water will instantly kill it. So that perfect temperature really is warm water, and you know it's working because the mixture of water and yeast will start to bubble after about three or four minutes. And then really, the only other ingredient for your basic loaf is salt. Seriously, flour, yeast, water, and salt. That is going to give you your basic loaf of bread. Now, if you are working with a special recipe, then yes, there may be other ingredients that you're bringing into your kitchen. So bring them in with care. Buy the best quality that you can, and I promise that's going to make your bread the best it can be. All right, let's get witchy with it. Now, there is a little kitchen witch inside all of us. It's where we do some of our best work, regardless of how we are planning on using it. But a kitchen witch is someone who will more than likely be bringing family and friends together through the energy of their kitchen. Our utensils are magical, or maybe they have a fun, fun, whimsical twist. We have cauldrons, small ones and big ones. We have cast iron cookware, and we have mystical, you know, themed baking dishes. We have an enormous amount of unique spices and seasonings and our own herbs and plants and that we cut and use in the kitchen. And if you love the fire element like me, you probably have a kitchen candle on your stovetop. Now, with all of that said, it's not so much what we are using. It's the intentions that we are putting into our baking and cooking that make it witchy. So kitchen witches have roots and, you know, go back to European folklore and traditions where it really is believed that we possess magical qualities that can enhance the well-being of the household. So many witches are considered healers and food is a wonderful way to take care of and keep our friends and family healthy. So how do we make our loaf of homemade bread magical? Ooh, we have lots of options here. And really, with all of my Kitchen Witchcraft episodes, it's going to be repeated because turning something we are baking or cooking into something that is magical is going to be up to the practitioner and what they are creating at the time. First and foremost, number one, intent and focus. Clearly defining and focusing on the intention behind the magical work is essential. The energy and the intent that you put into the process play a significant role in making something magical. Number two, rituals and ceremonies. Now, some practitioners follow specific rituals, um, some very intentional ceremonies, or maybe spells to imbue objects with magical properties. These rituals often are going to have symbolic actions. There's going to be specific words that we're saying and gestures to enhance that magical energy. Now, symbolism and sigils, um, the use of symbols, whether they're ancient runes, whether you're actually carving sigils into the dough, um, or any other meaningful images, is going to be really common in our practice. The symbols can be inscribed. They can be incorporated into objects to convey specific energies or intentions. And it doesn't have to be when the loaf is done, too. I've done it sometimes as I'm stirring the ingredients together. Uh, now, for correspondences, I think many of our traditions are going to involve associating elements, colors, herbs, crystals, not maybe in the food, but around where we're working, <laughs> um, 
and other you know materials specific to the energies that we're creating. Now, by incorporating these correspondences into the creation or you know the concentration of an object, we believe, or you know, in the practice, we can believe that they really do enhance the magical properties. So visualization and meditation. Now, you know, this, this one, you know, visualizing the desired outcome or, you know, the object radiating with magical energy really helps in our practice. This involves focusing the mind on the intended magical qualities during the meditation or the ritual of baking that bread. Now, for energy work, you know, practitioners, I think, can use various energy work techniques here, such as grounding, um, we can center, we can draw upon elemental energies, um, anything that infuses that object with the, the magic that we're looking for. You know, I like my moon phases. <laughs> so aligning with cosmic energies, that can be a big thing. When we choose to bake the bread where the moon is, it's a dark moon, new moon, full moon, you know, whatever, whatever it is, a lot of us in the practice are going to use the magical workings based on lunar phases or even planetary influences. And then the last one is the blessings in invocations. So calling upon those higher powers. We can work with deities, we can work with spirits or other higher powers to have our food be blessed or to empower an object with their energy. Empower our loaf of bread. <laughs> and lastly, real fast for the work element of, of our magical kitchen and witchy loaf of bread, no matter what we are baking or cooking, though, you know, if you are making it for the office staff, maybe an office party or just as a happy Monday type thing, whatever you do that makes your kitchen work witchy, you can tailor it just a bit for the office and share that element of our practice without really anybody even knowing. I really feel like I'm extending such a personal side of my life when I bring in baked goods to share with everyone. And really, it is such a great addition to any office and job, no matter what you're doing for work. All right, well, we can hang up our apron for now. I hope you're able to stay for just a little bit as I did write a poem to help with our magical bread baking. All right, my poem is something that we can actually read off. Please feel free to use it if you're doing any baking. Um, and here we go. I light this flame and summon fire. Cauldron take my powers higher. With love and care, I add my water and claim my kitchen as a witchy daughter. I feel the breeze and call to air and add the wheat that's grounded fair. I honor earth and touch the soil and mix some herbs with olive oil. Spirits of the kitchen stitch, protect me as I now bewitch. Take these magical words I make and bind the elements in the bread I bake. Well, I really appreciate you listening today and being a part of Witchy Work Wishes. Next week's episode is jumping back into our crystal and stone magic, and I'm really excited to have a new guest to Witchy Work Wishes. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and weekend, and I'll talk with you next week. Thank you for joining me today at Witchy Work Wishes, a place to find your weekly inspiration for bringing your personal witchcraft practice into your business, work, and office. For more information and additional content, 
please visit me online at witchyworkwishes.com. If you want to send me a personal note, please email me at info at witchyworkwishes.com. And of course, you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook. Just search for Witchy Work Wishes. <laughs>